You're listening to the Bitcoin and Marcus podcast. Hello, Bitcoiners. Welcome back to the show. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets, episode 34 for February 9th, 2017. I want to give you guys a market update here because we've had a lot of crazy stuff happen over the last um, what couple weeks. We went on a big tear in price, all the way from 920 up to 1070. And I once we got to, you know, about 1040 I was calling for a pullback because we went too far too fast and I just thought we had to relieve some of this pressure didn't go that way it kept going up went up another 30 bucks before it pulled back and it pulled back all the way from 1070 down to a thousand we had a quick reversal though and made new uh made a new higher high up to 1075 before PBOC stormed onto the market and crashed the price again. So the announcement out of the PBOC was that they are going to require AML compliance from these Bitcoin exchanges. To comply with that, the exchanges are having to um, halt withdrawals for up to 30 days, at least on the spot market. Apparently, if you're trading futures, then there's no there's no problem. But on the spot market, that's where the problem comes in. And I don't know if they're able to withdraw yuan. So if they sell their Bitcoin and uh, try to withdraw their yuan, if that's if that's working and you just can't withdraw your BTC, I don't know. But there was a massive reaction to that news and the price did drop $150 down to, you know, back down to that support around 920 I don't, I don't think we're going much lower than this. I think the bottom is in at the low 700s and we probably will go up from there. There's quite a bit of support here at 920. Okay. Local Bitcoin's volume is 17.1 million over the last 24 hours and Paxful volume is at 2.5 million. So right around $20 million OTC of Bitcoin, at least, you know, peer to peer. Bitcoin. This is not talking big dollar OTC. On the Bitcoin network, last 24 hours was 350 million. And we've seen this trend up recently. You know, there's a lot of money moving right now in Bitcoin. So we're at pretty high volumes for uh, dollar value, at least on the Bitcoin blockchain. Difficulty estimate is a uh, plus 4% again for the next difficulty. Um, change the last two difficulty changes were 16 percent and seven percent and then if this one is four we see this like kind of tapering off um, there was a lot of new hardware that hit the market from bitmain and supposedly what i hear is that they were saying that they were only going to sell to bitcoin unlimited pools so that's why we saw a big spike in the unlimited numbers once that kind of tapers off and we see other people selling their next round of manufactured hardware asics uh, bitcoin limited probably will drop again and, and hopefully segwit increases i don't know 
Segwit is stuck at 24-25%, and we will see what happens. It's still above the Bitcoin Limited, but, you know, when Bitcoin Limited goes up 5% of, of the blocks, you just have to deal with all these people talking about, oh, yeah, how are you going to feel when we hard fork? And it just feels like, how are you going to feel when we shoot you in the head? That's what it feels like when they say that, because um, it, it's going to kill Bitcoin. And how... How do you feel when we're going to shoot your best friend? That's kind of what it feels like when they say that. Anyway, so that's a market update. I want to talk a little bit about Patreon because so we're on a, this will be the second companion episode because well, I produce th these SoundCloud episodes and then I also do a companion episode for each one now and put that on Patreon. Um, we go into depth on, on some more in-depth analysis on the market. We also look at uh, other insights that I have from following this uh, Bitcoin thing 24-7. And I'd also break down, like today's episode for this, for the main podcast, the SoundCloud one, They it's centering a lot around traditional finance and some politics, not... Uh, around Bitcoin as much because I've kind of neglected that side of the podcast where, you know, it's supposed to be uh, Bitcoin centered, but then talking about global markets and geopolitics or whatever. But um, I've kind of neglected that traditional market side. So today I'm going to talk a lot about I talk about Swift. I talk about Japan, Italy and France and some of the politics happening there. And I continue that on the companion episode, um, but also talk about some SegWit stuff and some unlimited stuff. For a dollar a month, you get access to that content. All the extra content that I put on Patreon. You also get access to a forum that, uh, you know, message board type thing, a community posting area, I guess you call it. And you can um, ask me questions. You can ask other people questions, try to connect to people. Uh, I would like to see, you know, some some value to that that feature as well. All right, let's get right into it then. All right, guys, this is truly the season of chaos. There is a lot happening in the financial world, um, a lot politically happening with the shakeups of, you know, the populist movements, the nationalist movements that we see around. Um, Trump is the best example so far of this. But these little things are happening all around the world to the, the legacy financial system. And I want to just point out a few things here in this section of the show. Uh, okay, so you guys know about SWIFT, right? The Let me pull up what that acronym actually is. SWIFT is the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunications. And, they, they, you know, it's the to send money back and forth uh, between... Central banks, basically. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, but <laughs> the, la the T is for telecommunications. So you can tell that it's very fucking old. 
this is a very old like I, I let me look up when they were freaking even made all right it's not very quick on their website I'm going to go to the Wikipedia page okay it was founded in 1973 so it is very old and they use technology that's very old they have the base their their lowest layer code you know their protocol swift protocol code whatever that is they it's very old and they're trying to upgrade the network but guess what they've reached the the level of ossification and ossification right is uh when things harden and this code has hardened they're made up of i mean this is kind of pre-internet architecture as well so swift is the central party but their member banks have client software well how do they get their um clients to upgrade it's really really hard and so now as we see these people progressing we see people having, um, you know, hacking, getting to the level of cracking Swift. They have a hard time inst in implementing new, um, new client software because these guys just don't want to upgrade. They don't have the expertise. You know, they um, don't go through. The, oh, they, they have their ideas of what they need to do in their own country. They have their regulations. Um, it's it's really really hard to get them to do this and swift was hacked had a very famous hack it's been hacked many many times but it has a famous hack from last february a year ago where some guys they they hacked into the bangladesh central bank and they sent wires to themselves from the fed reserve for 81 million dollars and i don't think they were ever caught they laundered the money all over Philippines and all sorts of places. Well, this keeps happening over and over on one of my first podcasts about probably summer of last year. I was talking about how they've had multiple, at that time they have, they had multiple other hacks. And I read like one of these, uh, it was like a newsletter that they send out to their member banks talking about these continuing to be hacked and they need to make some changes well they in implemented uh, new security protocols or new security processes to the swift system and here's an article about this i you know i was just thinking about this the other day i, I didn't see any news about it this didn't pop onto my radar or anything i was just wondering hey it's been a while since i heard about swift let me google it and this is from february 1st of this year so last week um, from scmagazine.com and they talk about swift demands <clears throat> sorry swift demands action from members as threat of cyber heist loom large so even as these are continuing, you get an idea from that headline that they are having big time problems getting their people to upgrade the software. And remember, 
there is a competitor. There's a new kid on the block now. Swift reigned supreme for so many decades. For three decades. And now, they have this competitor from China. And I'll get into that story next. So, okay. Let me just read a few snippets from this. In the months that followed that headline hack that I just talked about, a series of similar attacks came to light as cyber crooks prominently targeted additional banks and locations ranging from Ecuador to Vietnam. Although the SWIFT system itself was not hacked in these cases, there was a common thread. Attackers abused the service provider's operations by compromising its member banks and stealing their SWIFT credentials. That's a hack, people. Your system that you have set up, your process and procedures was hacked. Remember that Ashley Madison hack that happened? Uh, the adultery website or the um, escort website that, that was out there that got hacked? They didn't like break encryption on that site. They social engineered them. And they went in and they called a bunch of numbers saying, hey, I need to reset my password. You know, and they finally got up to get um, like a manager's password by just making a bunch of phone calls. So the system includes the people. The system includes all of these client uh, nodes out there on this SWIFT network. The SWIFT network was hacked and they try to play it off. But anyway, okay, continuing. This prompted SWIFT in May, so three months later, to launch a customer security program designed to get members to comply with recommended cybersecurity guidelines, practice two-factor authentication, and adopt updated SWIFT software featuring integrity verification and alert capabilities. So, there's <laughs> I just picture these guys like uh, in the Philippines or Bangladesh or something, and they have their first and last name as the username and password as the password, or password1234 or something. <laughs> And they're trying to get these people to use two-factor authentication. It's, oh, man. Okay, so this is a quote here from Stephen Gilderdale. He's a manag managing director at Swift and the head of this cybersecurity program. I mean, this is all hands on deck. He's a managing director and the head of the customer security program. All hands on deck for Swift. This is alert, red alert. We are in trouble. Okay, so here's what he said. <laughs> Excuse me. The proactive intelligence gathering and forensic work being undertaken by our customer... Okay, let me skip that because it's not as important as this part. Okay, quote, Fortunately, a good number of recent attacks have been ultimately thwarted. In a few instances, the correspondents have observed and stopped suspicious messages. In others... The attacks have been identified and the frauds ultimately prevented as a direct result of measures introduced through the CSP, the Customer Security Program. So, that very first part, fortunately, a good number of recent attacks have been ultimately thwarted. What's a good number? That's suspicious. If he doesn't say most or almost all, it's definitely not all attacks. 
Okay, he's just saying this right here. It's not all the recent attacks. And if he uses the term a good number, I think it's purposely misleading. So I would put it probably about 50%. I mean, if it were 80 or 90%, he'd probably say that. Or he'd say most. So 50% or under is my opinion on this. Oh man, and they're they're in trouble. They cannot stop these attacks. And that's I mean this makes me think that all of this blockchain stuff you know all these banks have been so about blockchain because they realized that their systems were built in 1970s. Swift was built in 1973 or started it's probably built out over the next decade. But it started back then. And the, all the banks realized that they are in the same boat as Swift. And as soon as they... As, as soon as the hackers start getting into the banks like this, they figure out and they have some um, simple malware that they can use on these banks to transfer money to you know launder money whatever it's game over and so they're like oh my god red alert red alert red alert we need to get blockchain blockchain's our answer and they're blinded by this internal panic i feel a panic <laughs> i feel a panic from these people which is good um okay so th then this this other Lady Patricia Hines, she's a corporate banking senior analyst at Celent, a research and consulting firm specializing in IT in the global financial industry. She has a quote at the bottom of this article, quote, I believe that there has been an impact on confidence in SWIFT and their inability to take prompt and effective action to cyber attacks. Moreover, it seems likely that the original malware has been shared among other malicious actors, and without a significant change in the underlying Swift programming code base, that malware will continue to be effective. Um, I, this is really, really big news, and I can't believe more people aren't on top of this, because Swift is... It's an important part of U.S. foreign policy. Remember when Russia, the sanctions, this is back with the Ukraine situation in Crimea. Russia, the sanctions were going on Russia and they threatened to cut them out of SWIFT. I mean, SWIFT is a huge, huge ace up the sleeve for the West. And it's dying right now in front of us. So where are these people going? Well, they're going to the Chinese alternative. And that's the next part here I want to um, bring up is another story from Japan. Well, it's, it's from the Nikkei.com, Nikkei the Asia Review, Asian Review. 
Japanese regional banks to join Yuan Payment Network. Hiroshima Bank and 13 other Japanese regional banks will connect to an interbank payment network that enables direct yuan wiring to mainland China, a move that will lower transaction fees and boost convenience for customers. So, I don't know if China's in the SWIFT network. I, I would assume that they are, but there's all sorts of regulations that go on with dealing with Chinese banks. And so they created this uh, parallel payment system to deal with China. But, hey, if there's a bank in Dubai on this um, Chinese international payment system, SIPS, C-I-P-S, and there's a bank in Tokyo on it, well, they can just send to each other. They don't have to go to into mainland China and then into Tokyo, I'm guessing. Okay, so this is this is a parallel network to SWIFT, and it's growing. And all of these banks, they're getting hacked. I mean, would you rather, like, which is a better pitch here? So SWIFT comes, comes to the, bank of, the central bank of Bangladesh and says, you have to upgrade your system or else. Or China coming up to you and saying, hey, this is great. We have modern technology. It's super cool. We want to include you in our growing um you know, network. So uh, there's so many pluses for you to connect with China and, and all this stuff. Of course, they're going to go with the Chinese. They don't, I mean, the only reason why they stick with Swift is because of the drones. They're going to get droned to death if they don't. But that threat is weakening because the U.S. is back on their heels diplomatically. Okay, so the end of this, this is really, really short. All these things will be in the show notes for you guys to, to look at. But Okay, so previously payments to mainland China had to be processed by clearing banks such as those in Hong Kong. SIPs can cut costs by several dollars per transaction. Payments can be completed on the same day if certain conditions are met. China's central bank is cons- considering operating SIPs past the current 8 p.m. closing into the early hours of the next morning as it works to improve the system's convenience. Well, they're going to be opening 24 hours because, or maybe 20 hours of the day, because they're expanding time zones. They're probably getting banks from Doha to Doha and Dubai to uh, Berlin and London on this SIPS network. Or Frankfurt, I guess. Frankfurt and London. They're getting all these people on it. So they're going to have to keep it open later. So that's interesting. That's all I have about these payment networks. It's a pretty big deal in my opinion. Let me know what you guys think in the comments section. Now ever since my birth, I've been cursed since I'm born to wild In case I never get to holler at my unborn child Many things learned in prison, blessed and still living Trying to earn every penny that I'm getting And reminiscing to the beginning of my mission When I was conceived in case
came to be in this position. My mama was a panther loud, single parent, but she growled when she witnessed baby boy rip a growl to school. But I dropped out and left the house because my mama say I'm good for nothing. So I'm out since I only got one life to live. God forgive me for my sins, let me make it and I never steal again or deal again. My only friend is my misery, wanting revenge for the agony they did to me. See, my life ain't promised, but it sure gets better. Hope you understand my love letter. I love Tupac. Oh man, when I was younger, I was big into Tupac, and I mean, I I think he has great lyrics, and and he was an anarchist, right? He was an individualist. Um, he didn't want to answer for um, other people's crimes or what other people said or or anything like that. Um, he has some some great words, and he was loved, and he still is loved. I mean, he is a, the next, he is the epitome of rap music, in my opinion. He is held up there with all these other people. Like, they'll hold up there Jay-Z and, you know, Biggie and all this stuff. But, but Tupac for everyone, right? Like, if you're talking about, um, blacks in New York, yeah, Biggie's or Jay-Z's probably really the most influential. But if you're talking about, Middle America, West Coast, East Coast, um, ghetto or s- the suburbs. Tupac went, covered all those places and, and he has a lot to say. And then that song's particularly, uh, I like, especially now we're, we're weeks away from our, our new addition to the family. So it just, it just struck me as appropriate. Let's move on to the next part of the season of chaos. Europe is kind of on the back burner right now um, with all this immigration and uh, some of the Brexit has come in. But, you know, there haven't been a bunch of headlines about Greece or or um, even Italy very much in, in the recent weeks because it kind of is like, you know, news cycles, right? The They'll hit it really hard right around, say, the the italian referendum and then you won't hear anything for a while at least in other countries the the europe the italians probably hear about this and if you live in europe i know i have probably about 25 percent of my audience in in europe so you guys probably are exposed to this more than i am and if if you guys have links like throughout the week if you run across something that is um uh, the top you know topical to um sovereign debt or European chaos exiting the Euro, exiting the EU, you know, send it my way. I'd love to read it. You guys have more, more access than I do to that kind of news or it's on your radar better than, than mine. So, okay. This is from Mish, Mike Shedlock. You know, he has a website called mishtalk.com. He it's recently a new website. Um, let's see. He talks about, there you are, okay. So I'm going to talk about Italy first, but then I'm going to go into France because there's some stuff happening in France that I think is pretty damn important. So, okay, Italy first. Now, they had that Italian referendum, and that Italian referendum went along with this globalist backlash, the populist movements around the world. Because Matteo Renzi, he was, I think, like the fifth prime minister in so many years. And he's he's an insider. He's a globalist. He's a, Europe- a Eurocrat. 
Okay. And so he was in there. He's like, we need, we need to push through these things, but the, the, uh, parliament is not pushing these through, you know, it can't pass the, there's too much opposition. So I need to strong arm this. I'm going to refashion the, the lower house, I guess it's like the popular one or the one that uh, equal representation, I guess. So he wanted to refashion that and that's what the referendum was over. And it was a resounding no by the people. No, we're not going to do that. And he said, if I lose, I'm going to resign. And, and he did that surprisingly. A lot of people were surprised that he actually resigned, but now there's calls for a new election. So another guy was put in, um, as prime minister, uh, you know, like an interim prime minister until elections could be called. And they were supposed to be scheduled for 2018, I believe. Um, but he, I think the president appointed this prime minister. However that works, I'm not exactly sure. But there's an interim guy in there. So, but there's calls for an early election. People don't want to wait until 2018. They want to actually have their voices heard now. So there's all this this call for these early elections. And what does that look like? Well, there's a new big player, political player in Italy, and that is the five star movement. It's a political party. It's an anti Euro party, anti Europe party. In all the polls, they're polling about 30 to 40%. I mean, that's pretty big in, in these European countries where there's eight political parties, major political parties in the U S we're kind of, it's weird. Cause we only have two. So <laughs> if one of the political parties has 30 or 40%, that's nothing. I mean, that's, uh, almost an absolute minority on everything. But in Europe, if you have 30 or 40%, damn, you're pretty much the majority, majority party. So, okay. Uh, this five-star movement is coming up, and they have a guy that they're trying to get in as prime minister, uh, Beppe Grillo. The anti-Europe, anti-Euro, wants to get out um, and shake things up, right? He wants to go back to the lira and all these things. So what are we setting up for? Well, he's calling for an early election because he wants to get elected. And so is Prime Minister Renzi again. There he is. He wants to get reelected. He just resigned, but now he's running for reelection, which I guess is the honest way to go about it, right? And then Berlusconi, he's a he's a past he was the prime minister before Matteo Renzi that got sent to prison for fraud or something. And so now he's out and his probation comes up at the end of 2017. So he wants to put off the elections until 2018. And he wants to run again. It's man, this is so much drama. I love it. Like, I, I guess we have drama too in the U.S. with Hillary's fainting spells and coughing fits and and uh, all that, all that crazy, crazy jazz. But uh, Italy, man, you have your fair share of of drama going on too. Well, uh, this new five star movement has actually been able to muster support, so they've gotten a lot of these tiny political parties rallying behind them so some of their polling numbers are even deceptively low when they talk about Matteo, uh, the Matteo Renzi versus this Grio M M Renzi wins but that's 
deceiving because, you know, all these minority parties are going to be back in this new five-star movement. So yeah, they're calling, they're calling for new elections and they'll probably be around June. If they, if these new elections get called, they'll be around June and we will see. Um, I think, I mean, if this follows the populist vote, if this follows that same vote they just had on the referendum, the referendum vote, then this Beppe Grillo, the anti-Euro, anti-Europe guy is going to get in. And then they'll be calling almost immediately to exit the Euro. Uh, let me go down on this page here. Yeah, so that that's all from Italy. But again, this is linked in the show notes, so read read through it. Okay, let's go to... One of my favorite news items of the week, and that is from France. This is also on mishtalk.com, and the headline is, France first, Marine Le Pen speech interrupted by cheers, France, France. In response to Trump's America first policy, can anyone blame citizens in other countries for insisting upon the same? Today, Marine Le Pen promised a crackdown on immigration and globalization in a speech in Lyon. I guess I'm saying that right. France. France's far-right party leader, Marie Marine Le Pen, promised a crackdown on foreigners and the forces of globalization if she won the presidency as she kicked off her campaign for a highly unpredictable election. Launching her bid in front of 3,000-strong crowd in Lyon on Sunday, she laid out a plan to pull the country out of the euro. Tax foreign workers, impose trade barriers, and stop uncontrolled immigration. Interrupted by chants of France, France, and this is our country, she told a ruckus crowd that the country was threatened by the two totalitarianisms of economic globalization and Islamic fundamentalism. A report by UBS Wealth Management last week gave Ms. Le Pen a 40% chance of becoming president. I think that's way, way low. Ms. Le Pen succeeded her father as party head in 2011. The FN has softened its xenophobic rhetoric and developed a statist platform designed to attract blue-collar workers disappointed by the left. This strategy has helped her party thrive in areas of France that have felt the brunt of deindustrialization, tapping into growing disillusionment among traditional left-wing voters who feel abandoned by the mainstream political class. So they're, they're, they're attracting the left-wing, but they're considered a far-right party. See, the, the, the left-right paradigm is broken. It doesn't make sense anymore. I think you have the the real thing, like in, in the U.S., way back at the beginning of the United States, they had the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. So the Federalists, they wanted, um, you know, strong central government. And the Anti-Federalists wanted states' rights and individual rights. They were anti-strong uh, centralized power. Well, today, we're starting to see that same divide 
come back into the world. And instead of national centralization, uh, Europe has this, and all over the world, they have this uh, global centralization. So it's the globalists, it's literally the globalists that want large global government versus the anti-globalists, the people that want uh, country rights and individual rights back to the, to the lower um, parts of society. And it just makes sense, especially with language barriers, you know, cultural barriers, cultures usually follow language. So, uh, those cultural barriers, they, it makes sense that they want to be in charge of themselves. They think they'll have more freedom if they're within their culture. And I think that's probably true. But I just want to point that out. Globalists versus anti-globalists compared to federalists of the past versus anti-federalists. Okay, so this is Le Pen's platform, and it's striking. One, special tax on job contracts for foreigners. Two, slashing migration by 80% to 10,000 people a year. Three, make it much harder to become a French citizen. Four, jobs should go French, uh, should go to French workers first. This is where it gets good. Five, reshape the EU into a loose confederation of nations. Anti-globalist, anti-European. Six, if talks failed to reshape Europe in six months, hold a referendum on leaving the EU. Now, do you think Brussels is really going to give up control that easily and that quickly? I mean, they they held multiple treaty votes in these countries because the votes didn't come out the way they wanted to. Remember back like 2008, 9, 10, something like that? They they got the wrong answer from these uh, votes, uh, popular votes on the, the treaty ratification in these EU countries. They got the wrong answer. And so they're like, well, fuck it. We're throwing that out and we're going to do it again. <laughs> and they did that. I mean, Brussels ain't going to take no for an answer here, people. And so France, they're, they're giving them a six-month deadline. Either decrease your power or we're out. So I, that's pretty easy to me. I think they're going to be out. Okay, and number seven, exit the euro. Then that's not contingent on the EU part. Okay, that's just straight up. Number seven, exit the euro. Reestablish the French franc as a national currency. So we have Italy and France, major economies. I think two and three in Europe, right? They are going to, they are threatening. And this is a real threat. They're threatening to leave the euro within the year. They're both going to have elections this freaking year. So 2017 is the season of chaos. There's going to be a lot of these type of moves and who knows it could catch on like wildfire greece will be out spain will be out portugal will be out and germany i talk about germany on the companion episode so again don't forget to go over to patreon.com forward slash bitcoin and markets and sign up for that so you can hear what's happening over in germany with some of the german banks and merkel too that's it let's touch on some bitcoin stuff let's bring this all back to bitcoin 
we are in the summer or season. <laughs> we are in the season of chaos, and Bitcoin has a major role to play here. A lot of people, I mean, it's still so damn small. It's a thousand dollars, and everyone's going crazy about it that knows about it, that's invested in it. I mean, they're going nuts for it. But in reality, guys, Bitcoin is still very tiny. And it's not ready for massive, like, retail uses. But that's okay. You know, a lot of my day is trying to explain the scaling debate to people. I'm on multiple message boards. I talk to multiple people on email. Um, I, I try to explain the scaling debate in a very logical way. And a technical, game-theoretical, but simple way. And I'm I'm not going to go through that right now because you probably have heard my my uh, stuff on this podcast before. But you know it's not ready for merchant use. It might never be. Lightning might have a lot to do with that. That brings it to merchants. But uh, right now, it's not ready for that. But what it is ready for is savings. And all value in Bitcoin comes from holding. It comes from savings. A lot of there's a a misnomer out there that you need to have merchants accept. You need to have a place to spend it. Okay, but that they're putting the emphasis on the wrong thing. See what it is. The reason why you want people to accept it is because you want them to demand it. You want retailers to want to hold it, to want to uh, use it themselves. You keep the value, take the value, and use the value. So you're not wanting yourself to necessarily want to buy a coffee because that's bullshit you can use a five dollar bill doesn't matter what you're saying is you want people to demand it so all value in bitcoin comes from demand it comes from the the um, desire to hold the money period and Bitcoin might not be ready for, <laughs> Bitcoin is not ready for every transaction to be on there, but it is ready for hundreds of billions of dollars worth of savings to be on there. For sure. I mean, look at the blockchain. You can do seven transactions a second, or sorry, three, up to about five, I think, if, if on a good block, you can get more transactions in there. And with SegWit, when that gets activated, it's going to be higher. And we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars worth of savings per person. So say you live in Greece, or you live in Italy, or France, or anywhere that these countries I talked about. Um, Japan. Or you are a rich person in Bangladesh. And you're wanting to put some savings into Bitcoin. Well, on that Bitcoin transaction where you buy $10,000 worth of Bitcoin, you get it on your wallet or whatever, you're going to be willing to pay 5 or $10 for that transaction. And remember, the value comes from holding, from savings. It doesn't come from these microtransactions. The value doesn't come from buying a coffee with it. The value comes from somebody holding a million dollars worth of it. That's where the value comes. 
You can have nobody accepting it. But if people want to hold it for savings, it's going to have value. If nobody wants to hold it for savings, you can use Ethereum or Dash or there, there's no reason there couldn't be a substitute. The reason why there's no substitute for Bitcoin is because people want to fucking hold it. I get sick and tired of that little, you know, we need to scale the block size now because we need more on-scale, on-chain transactions right now because we need to do free transactions and shit. That's bullshit. Free transactions mean nothing. And Satoshi would know that. I also hate the argument about Satoshi, uh, using Satoshi like Jesus, right? <laughs> he said this, this is the gospel of Satoshi, we must obey. Satoshi was a genius, and he would have said that the value comes from holding it. We want higher value transactions on there. You can use a layer two for these rinky-dink microtransactions. And yes, then those will add more value. Well, one of the things I'm super excited about the Lightning Network, too, is that, you know, you need to escrow funds in the channels. So you need, when you open up a Lightning channel or you join a Lightning Network, you have to, it's almost like stake. You got to uh, escrow some Bitcoins in there. And so that's going to be a huge amount of holding. <laughs> that, I mean, that by itself. The Lightning Network escrow by itself. I don't know if that's the right term, actually, escrow or the funding of the channel, the funding of the network that holds all this Bitcoin in there by itself is going to be a drastic bump in price because it comes from holding it, from taking it off of the market. That's where the value comes from. Anyways, um... Okay, so these people, Bitcoin is ready for them to save. If, you li if you're if you in Greece and you live through the first, second, third banking crisis over there, and now there's some uh, whispers on the wind that it's going to happen this year again in Greece. So if you're in Greece, yeah, you might not have been ready for Bitcoin in 2010 or 2014, but... You're an idiot if in 2017 you're not ready. And Bitcoin is ready for you to put savings into it. So no longer are people going to be doing dollar, two dollar transactions with Bitcoin. It's going to be thousand dollar transactions, period. Already the average transactions value on the blockchain is over a thousand dollars. The average. That's not a median it's a mean but it's over a thousand dollars per transaction when that when that size gets to ten thousand dollars is the average transaction size wow i mean that bitcoin can handle that doesn't matter what scaling solution you want to put on there and i remember the uh the old debate about countries holding it for reserves I think that's a good idea, and I think that's coming. If I was a smaller country, I would be buying Bitcoin right now. It's a long shot. Well, it's not even a long shot. It's risky. It's not 100%. But right now, if I'm like Barbados or I'm some other small country, I'm not going to be... 
you know, if, if Bitcoin has a 95% chance of success right now, which I think is about the right, um, right number, um, if Bitcoin has about a 95% chance of success, I think that's about the same chance of the U.S. defaulting on foreign debt with Trump in there because he's even said so. So there's a 95% that if you buy a 30-year bond, that you'll get your money back. And it's a no-brainer for these small countries. So they will be, they will be buying it. And there's all sorts of stories about IT companies buying it for their customers because of ransomware and stuff. So they're holding it. All of this holding is where the value is coming in. And we don't know who's holding what, obviously, but there's a lot of new holders coming in. And this ETF, that's going to take Bitcoin off the market. And those guys are going to be trading it on traditional markets, right? It's not going to be a Bitcoin transaction um, every time someone sells a share of the ETF. That's going to be recorded in the regular way. And if you want delivery, then they'll send it to you. But most people don't won't take delivery of ETF stuff. So that's another way to scale and to add a big blob of holdings. That's a wrap for this episode, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets. If you'd like to support the show, you can donate at BitcoinandMarkets.com. Or if you want to get access to my extra content, I'm putting on extra content onto Patreon at patreon.com forward slash bitcoin and markets there's a link in the show notes to that for a dollar a month i give you about a half an hour of extra content per episode uh, today we're going to be talking about germany uh, deutsche bank and their russian money laundering stuff uh, iran and their dropping of the dollar in retaliation major currency wars kicking up there and the, a sent a senate letter to the federal reserve to janet yellen with tough talk and of course always oh bitcoin is weaved throughout that we're building a community there you know there's been several questions already we're only two weeks into the patreon and you know i'm i'm liking it i'm start i'm able to talk to you guys more and more personally so join me over there that's it buy a bitcoin peace